Yo, what up everybody? Welcome to the Inside Scoop on Mental Health with Bracken Lovell and Brandon Paxton, where we discuss mental health and focus on changing the stigma associated with mental illness. Remember, we're not professionals, but we do care about making a difference. We're here to give you the inside perspective from those living with mental health-related concerns. Please reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook with any questions, concerns, or suggestions for the show. And please don't ever hesitate to reach out and ask somebody for help if you're struggling, and that includes us. Enjoy this week's episode of the Inside Scoop on Mental Health. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Inside Scoop on Mental Health. Today we have another amazing episode, and our guest is Christine, the person behind ED Stories Instagram page. Um, we're going to have her tell her story, talk about the platform she's created surrounding eating disorders. Um, I'm pretty, pretty new to studying about eating disorders. I'm not very knowledgeable in that area, so this will be a really good uh, interview and podcast for me. I'm pretty excited to have you here. So Christine, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, I'm Christine. I'm from Oregon originally, but I'm a student um, studying at Brigham Young University in Utah. Um, I'm actually studying accounting. Um, and hobbies, I love being in the mountains. Utah's a good place for me. Um, I also love the Oregon mountains. Um, and then, yeah, like you guys found me, um, I think through like my, the platform, um, ED stories, my page, I, uh, struggled with an eating disorder starting at about age 16, which is a mental illness that not many people recognize as a mental illness. Um, and then, you know, after a lot of years of struggling, I got help and then I eventually started talking about it. And so it's become a passion of mine to like spread awareness uh, about it. So that's awesome. I think it's so important once uh, once we have our own experiences to kind of get that message out. And that's a goal of this podcast, actually. Um, we want to kind of mitigate that stigma because there's a huge stigma. Um, just like you said, a lot of people don't see eating disorders as a mental illness when it, it truly is. It's, it's, I mean, it, it's something that it, it's truly a struggle. And, and honestly, it's a bigger struggle than we realize. Um, yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, when did it start? Yeah. So, um, I mean, just like other mental illnesses, there's not like one cause, right. And I'm sure that you guys know that. Um, so I think mine started with a combination of factors. Some of it was like the environment I grew up in, my peers, I mean, diet culture and kind of this toxic expectation of what like women should look like, that underlying everything. And then I was also a ballet dancer. So that was a big uh, trigger um, to this whole thing. So kind of all those factors combined. Um, I like started my period when I was just about 16 almost turning 16 and that's when you know women start developing and our bodies change and i had this expectation in my mind of just being this thin girl and ballet dancer and i wanted to stay that way and so when my body started changing i decided um, that i was just gonna do whatever i could to stay as thin as possible 
like whatever it took. Um, and so it led into kind of disordered thinking and then disordered behaviors and then a full on eating disorder. And I never called it that. I didn't know that what I was struggling with was real. I just thought like I lacked self-control. Um, I needed to just like not think about food so much and just like eat super healthy and exercise a ton and just look a certain way and I needed to do it on my own. But um, it started dominating my life completely and um, dominating my mind and my thoughts. I couldn't like focus on stuff. Um, it was like a really dark time um, and it got worse and worse gradually. My freshman year of college is probably when I hit uh, a low point. I was uh, on the ballet company at BYU and I was taking 18 credits. Like on the outside, I was this like high functioning, um, you know, college student that was talented and like had it together, right? But on the inside, I was completely broken and miserable. I would do anything I could to avoid being with people. So I wouldn't eat meals around people. I'd try to walk through campus at times that people, like it was a rush hour because I felt like everyone was watching me. And I was so hyper-focused and so self-conscious about what I looked like. I assumed that like everyone um, just thought I was fat. Um, I didn't know at the time, but I was struggling with body dysmorphia. I basically, the way I viewed myself was distorted and um, it wasn't like the true view of myself. Um, so anyways, I had a roommate um, who also struggled with her own mental health stuff and she ended up withdrawing and moving out midway through freshman year. And so I was alone in my dorm room because it had just been me and her before. I think that's probably the, um, the moment I realized that I no longer felt safe with myself. I was fantasizing about suicide. Um, I would binge a ton and then I would go an entire day without eating. I would exercise until I injured myself and like push through it. Um, and it just became like a really unhealthy place. Um, so I went to my first therapy appointment actually that end of semester um, and I just like let it all out um, through like so many tears but I don't think therapist she wasn't very experienced in eating disorders so she didn't really understand and uh, I was about to go on a mission anyways so it was the only therapy appointment I got in so it was more traumatic than anything else for me um, and I ended up serving a mission for my church for 18 months um, and I still struggled with it on a mission, but I think I started to be a little bit more compassionate with myself and realized that like, I was still, um, worthy. I was still, um, capable, even though I had this struggle, like just a, a little bit of healing psychologically for me. Um, but I still thought I could just like figure it out on my own and, I got home from that year and a half mission um, thinking, okay, it'll just like go away. Um, but I still kept in this cycle of like 
extreme restriction and exercise, over-exercising, and then binging, feeling out of control, being miserable, couldn't like socialize. I wanted to just like hide and isolate myself and then just like the cycle continued and continued. Um, and that's when I went back to get help and started my recovery process. That's an insane story. I mean, I don't think that people realize how much eating disorders can affect your life. Um, a lot of people kind of just brush it under the rug and don't see it as that big of a deal. But um, I was actually doing some research on this and found, um, according to the Academy of Eating Disorders, that the mortality rate for eating disorders is second only to the opioid use, which blew my mind away because, and that's in regards to uh, mental illnesses, but that still blew me away because I never would have thought that that was the number two leading cause of deaths in America. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, I, I, I never want to say I, my struggle wasn't that bad. Right. Cause like it's still valid and it's still hard, but um, I mean, people are hospitalized all the time for eating disorders and um, it's just this, it overtakes your mind and you could be literally dying. Um, most commonly, I feel like people are hospitalized for anorexia, but um, you could be dying, but like, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's a mental illness and it, it's this voice that tells you, you can't eat, you're fat, you aren't worth anything, you need to look like this. Um, and you just feel like a failure constantly. And so like, even people that are, you know, in the hospital or their life is in danger. It's just this voice they can't get out of their head. Um, and that's why recovery is just like so life-saving and so important. Right. And so it's so imperative. I mean, you mentioned that you, you mentioned that, you know, you don't feel like your struggle was, was that, that bad and, you know, relative to other people, but, you know, looking from the outside, that's, that's rough. I mean, you mentioned that you didn't necessarily want to be here. You were depressed, you, you know, and that's why to me, it's amazing that somebody wouldn't classify it as a mental illness because you, it, it, it coincides with depression. It coincides with suicidal ideations and you know, that's, that's rough. And I'm sitting here listening to your story going, wow, that's, that's awful that you're, you know, you're living in your own hell all the time. And yep. it's something that's pretty dear to me as I've, I've seen people in my own family struggle with that. So I don't know, take, take us through like a normal week when you're in your worst. Yeah. At your, at your low point. Yeah. I mean, hell is a great way to describe it. Um, and I say hell and like, I, I could still function. That's the thing. And that's, the tough thing with eating disorders is like, it's not the person that's like, you know, isolated in a corner necessarily or hiding. It's the people that were around all the time, you know? So a normal week for me would be, an, you know, all appearances, a normal week. It'd be going to school, taking classes. It would be, you know, socializing with people, um, you know, participating in hobbies, but there was always underlying like, I would constantly be thinking about food. It just like dominated my thoughts of like what I had eaten that day, what I needed to do to compensate, 
with exercise. Um, my body, I was like hyper aware of my body, especially in social situations. Um, and I noticed it. Um, I mean, even after I'd been in recovery, like my, the first guy that I dated, he would be talking to me and I would completely zoom, like zone out of the conversation. And I'd realize in a couple minutes in, I'm like, I don't even know what he just said because my mind had been so damaged for so long that I couldn't like listen to people because in the back of my mind, I was just thinking like, what do they think of my body? How do I look right now? How am I being perceived? And like, what am I, what have I eaten today? What am I um, gonna eat later? Like just this anxiety constantly um, that made it impossible to like really be present in my relationships or classes or, you know, like whatever I was doing. So basically on the outside, everything was fine. And on the inside, it was an anxious, at times depressed, um, just kind of spiral. And um, it was, it's not a life, like it's not sustainable, you know, like I could do it for a while, but, um, you know, ultimately I realized I cannot live my life like this. This isn't normal, you know, and now living a life after my eating disorder, I realize um, how freeing it is to, you know, my mind is, it's, that voice is still there sometimes, but, um, I can be present. I can listen to people now. It does not overtake my brain, my life anymore. Wow. So obviously self-care has a lot to do with eating disorders, but for you personally, what did, what does self-care mean to you? And what did it mean as you were trying to recover from this eating disorder? Yeah, self-care, I think people like don't understand it. Like the image that people, a lot of people have is self-care is like a bubble bath, like kind of like spoiling yourself or like going on vacation or laying on a beach or something. That's not what self-care is. I think for me, self-care is like knowing what I need and being able to meet my needs um, and take time for myself. Um, so in the beginning, of recovery, it looked like, um, I mean, a lot of structure. Um, I got to the point where like my body and I didn't trust each other because I would, it was just this extreme history of like not eating at all and then eating a ton. And like, so I felt like my relationship with my body was just like so broken. I didn't even know like when I was hungry um, and like when I actually wanted to exercise or when it was just driven by this like pathological need to exercise, you know? So I had to kind of um, listen to myself, like start with just structure, like three meals a day, um, even when I didn't want to eat or when it was like, felt like the hardest thing, um, just consistency. Um, because like food is just, we just need it, you know? Um, and I had been depriving myself for so long. And so it looked like feeding myself. It looked like um, taking a break from exercise, which terrified me, but I had to prove to myself that um, my worth was not attached to the amount that I exercised and how strong or fit I was. So I had to take a break actually from exercising in general. And so, I guess it's just, yeah, it was just listening to my body over time um, and 
like taking breaks from stuff that was uh, triggering to me, like certain social media accounts um, or people in my life. Like I had to um, just notice like what triggered me and um, just listen to my own psychological and physical needs. And how difficult was that? I mean, you said you were in ballet um, at the college level, nonetheless. Um, obviously, exercise is important to you, let alone your mind telling you that you have to exercise or you can't eat or, you know, whatever the thought may be. How difficult is that to break away from and just say, OK, I need a break? It was really hard. Um, I had been a perfectionist for like so long. And so I had to like just abandon what my idea of what perfection was, you know, I actually ballet, like I went on like this mission for a year and a half and I came back and I decided not to go back to dance. And that was a hard decision. I loved dance, but it was like one of the best things I've done because um, it just, it was essentially like I had to like kind of leave because like the studio had been this traumatic thing for me and I needed to like just not go back for a while. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really hard to change my idea of like health. And my therapist helped me realize I was, I had no idea what self-compassion was. And uh, so I had to completely learn what that was and um, how to put, implement it in my life. So uh, a minute ago, you talked about how part of your self-care was taking yourself away from certain social media accounts. Um, I personally have seen that media portrays eating disorders in a completely different way than it really is. Um, I mean, for me, myself, I imagine eating disorders as anorexia, bulimic, um, and that's kind of the, the extent that media portrays it as, but there's so much more to it. Yeah. And, and so the fact that you're, you, even you mentioned that you had to kind of take yourself away from social media because of the way that they want to make you feel, the way that they portray self-image. Can you, I mean, what are your thoughts on the way media portrays eating disorders and self-image? Yeah, I mean, at the root of every eating disorder is diet culture. And it's this, diet culture is basically, um, is culture that promotes thinness and equates it to like worth and moral virtue. Like if you are thinner, you will be happier, more lovable, more worthy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that is just um, pervasive in the media. And, um, and yeah, and then of course, yeah, there's the other side of it is that people just don't understand like what an eating disorder uh, is and they have like this, very narrow vision of it it's like oh it's just like thin white teenage girls you know um which is just not like the case and so i basically had to investigate my consumption of social media and um the accounts i followed um and you know what was on my feed and i basically anything that was along the lines of diet culture you know like uh, promoting weight loss um, or like just anything that made me feel um, like I wasn't good enough or self-conscious. Um, 
I just had to like unfollow, mute, whatever it was to the person or group. Um, because, um, yeah, it, it can be so triggering. Um, any of those diet culture um, accounts or, yeah. So that was, and then I, as I got rid of stuff, I also replaced all of that with um, accounts that promote health at every size and anti-diet culture and eating disorder recovery um, and just, yeah, body positive accounts. And that has like really helped me in recovery. Mm. Social media is an interesting thing. I don't think it discriminates. I have to agree with you 100% that eating disorders don't discriminate between male and female. It doesn't matter what you know race you are. I like that you said that because it, it really doesn't. I mean, I've wrestled my whole entire life. Wrestling, as people know, is a is a, a sport where you have to make weight. You have to make well, you don't have to, but you can choose to make a specific weight, and it's kind of a norm of wrestling. And it's it's women like more girls are starting to do it. There's girls women's leagues popping up and stuff, but dominant. It was you know a pretty dominantly male sport for a long, long time, and I personally know many people who struggle with this and I've seen this in my own self where, okay, I just, I overate, you know, so I got to go run. I got to go do this uh, even to the point of, okay, I got to go purge. And so it, it definitely doesn't discriminate. I love that you said that and kind of a follow-up question with that is how much correlation do you think it had with ballet with sports? Because ballet is another one of those that has, a cultural norm of being thin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ballet was incredibly tough. I mean, first off you're in front of a mirror for hours. So like that's a huge trigger, you know, um, cause I was so cripplingly self-conscious. Um, and so seeing myself in a mirror and seeing other girls next to me, you know, it's like, my that that ed voice that i call it was so loud like wanting me to pick apart my body and i was not good enough and so that was the dialogue you know the entire class or rehearsal was just um this body shame um and then yeah ballet ballet's tough um i love ballet but um you know since its creation hundreds of years ago there's just this thin aesthetic right that's idealized and I don't know if that will ever go away in ballet. Like they definitely made progress, I think, as an art form um, and a sport, but in being inclusive of other body types. But I don't know if they'll ever fully get there because it's just like that's how it is, which is so unfortunate um, because when my body started changing, when I was just a teenage girl, you know, like bodies are meant to change. But when it started changing, in my mind, it was like, oh, you're no longer the thin um, ballet, ballerina that you're supposed to be. And um, so I tried to manipul manipulate my body size and then it spiraled from there, you know? So um, unfortunately, ballet turned out to be one of um, the most triggering and damaging parts of my youth when it should have been, you know, this happy, um and fulfilling uh thing that i did so i mean eating disorders they they thrive off of secrecy and you even mentioned yourself how you would try and hide yourself or even walk on campus when 
there wouldn't be a lot of foot traffic because it's almost like you're just trying to hide that and keep that so secretive from everybody around you. You don't want anybody to see that. Yeah. Um, you, you, you're really going through the darkest of times and nobody even knows. Um, it can be absolutely terrifying to share those things with somebody, to seek help, um, to really make that change to recover. Um, you, you mentioned that you went to a therapist and you did some self-care, but can you talk a little bit more on the recovery path for you? What, at what point did you decide, okay, this is what I need to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And who helped you along that path? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was after I had gotten back from, uh, this mission, um, for a year and a half. And I, again, and a lot of people probably think this and they struggle with any mental illness. It's like, you just get through it. Right. Just like, you know, figure it out, solve it on your own. That, that was my mentality. Um, cause there were a few things in life that I couldn't just like set a goal and achieve on my own. Right in school and whatever else I had done in life, but this was very different. Um, it was a mental illness and I, I, it wasn't until I got to my lowest of lows that I realized this is, I cannot do this on my own. I need help. And, um, there were a lot of tears and a lot of heartache leading up to that. But, um, going to my first therapy appointment after my mission was so healing it was like walking away from my therapist's office was like this burden was just like lifted off of my shoulders and every time I went back again and again um I just felt lighter like I could move forward um and take it one day at a time because I could finally talk about it and someone like understood so therapy um was my number one um uh kickstart to my recovery um and then with eating disorder recovery, it was kind of like threefold. I had a therapist who specialized in eating disorders. And, um, and so she was more on the psychological side of my healing process. Then I had a dietitian who was a little bit more on like the practical side of my recovery and helped me um, learn how to like listen to my body and feed myself and exercise and like a healthy, uh, balanced way. And then um, I also had group therapy. And group therapy has been so transformative for me um, because, you know, I weekly, I sat in this room with, you know, eight or nine or 10 other, um, mostly women, but a couple men who could relate to me in like a way that no one else could. Um, we would just talk about our struggles and unravel all the pain um, and the shame that we had experienced for like so long. Um, and I just can't describe it, like voicing stuff that you've never voiced before that you've hid for so long. It's the most healing um, and amazing experience. And so those three things, therapy, meeting with a dietitian, group therapy, um, were like the most important parts in my recovery. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that voicing your struggle was huge in your recovery. And I, I wanted to actually go into that because you have created a platform that allows others to share their stories as well, to voice their struggles, to 
basically just speak out and fight against that stigma associated with eating disorders and associated with mental illness. Do you want to talk more on that? Yeah, totally. So um, I guess we'll start rewind a little bit. So no one in my life knew about my eating disorder until uh, my parents actually found out by accident. That's a story that I won't share here, but um, you know, my parents found out and then like, I had my recovery team that I talked to about it, but like none of my friends knew, no one else knew uh, for the longest time. And then like, I told my best friend about it, maybe like a year into recovery. Um, and then last year, um, well, I had decided in one of my first therapy appointments that I was going to share this one day about my eating disorder. I was not ready. I wasn't even close to ready. I was so fragile and um, still so emotional about it. And there was so much shame still, but I made a goal. I was going to talk about it eventually. And it took a long time, like years. But last year is when I got to the point where I felt ready enough uh, to talk about it. So I wrote this blog post called The Eating Disorder That No One Talks About. And um, I wrote it and then I sent it to my close friends and family members who didn't know, which was basically everybody. Um, and I said, hey, there's this thing I've struggled with for a long time. I didn't tell you, it's not because I don't love you, or because I didn't trust you, it's just because I could not talk about it until now. Um, I shared it with them and then I actually shared it with like the whole world on my social media. Um, and it was so terrifying and so scary. But once I started talking about it, it was um, so healing um, and so amazing. And so many people reached out to me who also struggled. And I had no idea, you know, like I never talked about it. They never talked about it. These are people that I associated with in high school or in college and through ballet and in my classes at church. Like so many people uh, were going through the same thing and we had no idea. And um, once I talked about it, I was able to make those connections and I kept writing blog posts. Um, and then I kind of went through a career crisis in the summer after I'd posted and I was like, shoot, maybe I should have become like a, um, a psychologist or a therapist, um, or a dietitian. And I had just gotten into my master's program for accounting. So I was like in this, um, situation and I like prayed about it and thought about it a lot. Um, and I ultimately decided to keep going with my master's program. But um, I like told God, I was like, I really want to make a difference and help people. And um, I just got this feeling like you can be an advocate for this cause. Like you don't have to necessarily change your major and go back to school to be like a licensed therapist or something, but you can be an advocate and make a huge difference. And then the idea of ED stories came to me. Um, and I thought like, what if there was a platform and a space where people could share and talk about their eating disorder stories and like a safe place where they could share even anonymously stuff that they've never voiced to anyone um and people could connect because i can't even tell you what i would have given when i was 16 17 18 19 20 to have found a space like that where people talked about it because i felt like just no one talked about it that was my blog post was the eating disorder that no one talks about because I was, I felt so much shame for so long because no one talked about it. So I was like, is this even real? Like, I didn't even acknowledge that what I struggled with was real because I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know I had an eating disorder. Um, so 
this platform was created one 16 year old girl will find it and she'll realize like like I'm not alone like what I'm going through is real and um and like realize that like healing is possible and she can get through it like that's the goal if only one girl can feel that then it will be a success um and it's been so awesome for me to receive stories from literally all over the world um of people who have struggled with an eating disorder and um it's been one of the highlights of my whole life to run this account and create this space to talk about uh, the hard stuff that's truly inspiring um you can hear how passionate you are about it too and uh, and why would you not be you know um but that that is inspiring and and you can see both from your blog and from your your page that you you are inspiring others you know you are helping those other people and so that's inspiring and i think um we can thank you on behalf of everybody that sees your page because it is it is truly a a big struggle and and i wanted to mention something that i read in your blog you mentioned that um, well, you talk about the fat phobic culture, if I can quote you. Yeah. Um, that, and people come up to you with these, I mean, well-intended compliments or, or comments that, you know, whether it's friends trying to wonder why you're gaining weight or why you're losing weight, people come up to you all the time. You talk a little bit about how that, that girl, you said she hears you, that eight, or 12 or 15 or 25 year old girl who is already dissatisfied she hears you that's huge we we truly don't know the impact of our words so in your opinion and in your experience how can we how can we better reach out to these people who are silently struggling yeah um yeah like you said um we don't realize the power of our words um especially surrounding weight like young girls and boys and everyone will get enough um, dialogue from the media telling them what they should look like. And they're gonna hear this message that larger bodies are bad, smaller bodies are good. They're already gonna get that message from the media, right? And so the last thing they need is like family members or friends or you know people in their circles promoting that same dialogue, you know, especially when it's directed at them, you know? comments of, oh, I see you've gained weight, or, oh my gosh, you've lost weight, that's so awesome. Like, that might seem like a really innocent, well-intended compliment or comment, um, but it can be so scarring um, and so triggering for some people. And so I would just say, like, people just need to be aware um, of how they talk and just shift the focus completely away from weight because um, weight has no bearing on our worth and often no bearing on our health you know the the thin person you see walking down the street could be so much less healthy right now than the larger person you see walking down the street the point is you don't know what they're going through that thin person could have anorexia and could be at one of the most unhealthy points in their life and that larger person could be supporting their body in healthy ways um, and they exist in a larger body. Like you just don't know based on looking at someone um, of if they're healthy or not. And so um, we can support people's health in so many other ways 
encouraging people to move um, their bodies because it feels good, move in ways that they want to move, um, and eating to nourish our bodies, eating because it gives us energy, um, and you know, not labeling foods as good or bad. Like when you're eating ice cream and not saying like, oh man, I have to make up for this later, or I gotta burn it off. Like eat ice cream because your body needs sugar actually and wants sugar and you should honor your body and what it wants. Um, and then not shaming yourself if you eat until you're uncomfortable. Like just notice, okay, like I ate until I was really uncomfortable with this ice cream. Um, next time I probably won't eat that much, but it's okay. The ice cream is always available. I have permission to eat ice cream whenever. I'm not gonna create rules for myself. And ironically, when you give yourself unconditional permission to eat all foods, um, they no longer have power over you. Um, and your body starts to tell you when it wants certain foods and when it doesn't want certain foods. Um, but our culture would tell us otherwise. They label foods as bad and good and bodies as bad and good. And that's where the problem lies. Yeah, it's more, it's more of a vanity on the surface. We look at things more on the surface and that's unfortunate. Um, but I, I think, unfortunately, that's just our, the natural man tendency. Um, but just a follow-up question with that. Um, I'm sorry to keep mentioning your blog, but it just really stuck out to me and kind of a shout out. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast, go check out the blog because it's amazing the way she writes it. Um, but you also mentioned that you had to learn how to love yourself unconditionally. So let's say that we're this person struggling. We're the ones silently struggling. What can we do to learn how to love ourselves unconditionally? Because unfortunately, we live in a world where there will be negative outside voices, always. There will always be negative outside voices. So what's your experience and how can you relate that to other people in building that unconditional love? Yeah, I think that's a super personal thing. Um, and it depends a lot like on your, your spiritual and other beliefs. For me, a big component was the spiritual side. I mean, I believe in God and I believe that I'm a daughter of God. Um, but I think for a long time, I still felt like God was disappointed in me, that I was doing something wrong, that I needed change. Um, and that's just like not, that view I had in my head is not the loving God that I know. And now looking back, like, God was with me all the time and he loves me for who I am and he created me in his image. So I kind of had to tap back into that spiritual belief that I have of a loving heavenly father who loves me unconditionally. Um, like no matter what I ate, no matter what it looked like or how much I exercise, like that love was always, always there. And then I think the other component um, that was kind of um, just myself, I started talking to myself like as a parent would talk to a child and calling myself baby girl <laughs> this therapist i follow i went to her one of her like workshops once and she had us like put our hands to our cheeks like as if you were like with a child like putting your hands on a child's cheeks and saying like baby girl and then just like talking to yourself like you're talking to a small child um in like a gentle and compassionate way and that has helped me so much to um, just be forgiving of myself when I quote unquote mess up or I think I've messed up um, and just like support my growth. You know, like 
you don't chastise a child when they fall down because they're trying to learn to walk. Like you support them and encourage them and you're so gentle and compassionate with them. Um, so I had to kind of learn how to do that to myself. It's weird and it felt like so foreign to me at first, but over time it's become a lot easier and I'll call myself that often, like baby girl. And um, just like talk to myself like that. And that road to recovery is pretty rough and it's hard for, I would say everybody that has to go through those trials and these various eating disorders. And I read a, a statistic stating that only 46% of people struggling with eating disorders fully recover. And uh, I mean, while that's something extremely hard to recover from, 46% is relatively small. I mean, that's less than half the people struggling fully recover. What do you think is holding these people back from recovering and taking control of their lives? Yeah. That's really hard. Um, I have like so much compassion for anyone who's on the spec anywhere on the spectrum of recovery, you know, hasn't started yet or is in it or has relapsed like so much compassion because it's such a hard journey. Um, and no one chooses to have an eating disorder, but you can choose to recover. Like recovery is a choice. Um, and I think, I learned really quickly in therapy, it was gonna take like a thousand times longer than I thought it would. And like, that was okay. Because what I've learned in the months and months and months of going through it, and what and like how much I've grown, like I wouldn't change that for anything. Um, so I would just say like, get rid of any timeline you have in your head. Like this could take years. And it quite possibly could be something you do struggle with your whole life. And there's not like a moment when you're like completely fine. But, um, that is okay. And like, it just matters that you're in going in the right direction, um, wherever you're at. Yeah. And I, something I took away from what you said, um, you can't expect instant results. Um, from your story, at least I, I could tell that you're a very patient person that you were willing to take the necessary steps and, um, go down that hard path of recovery and, like you said, it takes time and it's very hard and people just need to know that they're not going to see the results right away, but the end result is worth it. Yeah. And even if that does take their whole life, like you said, they may struggle with it their entire lives, but I think that you would agree it's definitely worth the recovery process. Absolutely. So Christine, how is your, I mean, you kind of went over this, but how is your mindset different now when you are in a situation where you might be triggered? Yeah, uh, I'm still triggered all the time. Um, especially like, for example, dating, dating super hard. Um, it used to be extremely triggering for me because I had this belief in my head that um, if I was thinner um, and more beautiful, then I would be more lovable, right? And more like wanted by guys and and if I wasn't dating someone it was because of my body so it's taken a long time to like retrain that and I will still have many panic attacks before dates or like on dates because um that voice in my head tries to get me to believe those things you know that like my body isn't good enough um and so I've had to work through those triggers um a lot of it has been just like 
changing the way that I talk to myself. Um, and also journaling has been a huge uh, coping mechanism for me. Um, I like to write. And so I will just lay it all out there when I'm having tough body image days. Um, and when I'm just not feeling good about stuff, I'll just write and write and write. And it really helps me to like unleash um, that discomfort that I'm feeling. And um, I almost always feel better afterwards. Um, so I think it's not a matter of like, if I get triggered, it's like when and like how I respond, you know? So I expect to have bad body image days. I expect to still experience like pain and discomfort and um, insecurity. But um, now I have coping mechanisms like journaling um, and, you know, changing the way I talk to myself. Um, I like to be outdoors. That's something that helps me. Those coping mechanisms help me when the triggers come. That's huge. So would you challenge others going through this to journal? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I would definitely say journaling um, is a really great coping mechanism, not only for me personally, but a lot of research shows that um, journaling um, really helps to process emotions. Um, I mean, it's kind of like therapy, um, but maybe it's just you and your journal instead of you and a therapist and just kind of letting stuff out. Um, it's been really helpful for me. So along the lines of those of journaling did you have a journal specifically for your di eating disorder like you would describe how you're feeling about that or did you just kind of just have a everyday life journal explaining how things were going in your life every aspect or did you focus directly on that eating disorder yeah um i've like there've been periods of time when i've had a physical journal and then i also just like used own or my laptop and I have like notes that are usually password protected for journals um, and I would say sometimes I would write it in just kind of my life journal but then I have a note kind of I don't know I don't know what I call it but something along the lines of like the hard stuff and it's stuff that like can be like in my darkest times um, stuff that like I wouldn't necessarily even want to show my kids in the future or, like share with anyone ever just like the worst of the worst feelings that I have. I have a note for that and I will just like be so real there um, even when I'm feeling miserable. And that really helps me to like have a space to let that out, even if it's something that I wouldn't feel comfortable telling a person, you know, so. That's huge. I think journaling is very um, underrated. That's why I wanted to ask. And, and we usually give out a challenge towards the end of our show and I know we're running out of time, but um, just wanted to thank you for sharing that. Would you challenge, would, would you like to challenge other listeners to do anything besides journal? Um, I would say talk about it. Um, talk about whatever your personal battle is. You know, for me, it was a therapist. That was the starting point. And then, you know, a year later, it was my best friend. And it was like, it took me a long time to feel comfortable, but talking about it to someone in some way is so healing. Challenge that I would do is just like find a way in a space that you can talk about your mental health or other struggle. Can I add to that challenge? Um, I'd like to challenge anybody that's gone through similar trials, similar struggles um, when the time is right. And when you feel comfortable, 
to share your story on her platform and to help others that may be struggling. Her, the platform she has on Instagram, her profile, ED Stories, is an amazing profile that shares stories that helps others struggling. And so there's definitely a time and it depends on the person. But anybody out there that has struggled with similar eating disorders um, that feels ready to share their story and thinks that their story could help others, please go reach out to Christine and share your story with her so that she can take the necessary steps to, to put it on her profile and reach those that need to hear it. Yeah, thank you. Right, and I mean, she mentioned um, she mentioned the therapist who she didn't really felt like understood, and that's that's something that she has on her story, you know, on her page is people that truly understand what you're going through. So know that. Um, and that's, again, that's Instagram ed underscore stories. So um, yeah, go check her out. And, and just kind of to wrap things up, Christine, what's the future look like for you? Um, what are your goals and your plans moving forward? Yeah, um, I have one year left of my master's program, so I'm planning on finishing that, hopefully, if I can make it. Um, and then I just want to keep advocating for this cause. Um, my goal with ED Stories is to one day get up to like 10,000 followers. Um, and I want to just, I want to spread that message to the whole world, um, that message of hope that recovery from eating disorders is possible and that people aren't alone. Um, so. I don't know if you'd call that a hobby, passion, a side gig, um, but it's a big part of my life and I want it to stay that way. All of the above. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Let's help her get to 10,000 followers. Um, please go on there, check her out, share, share your story, reach out to her and go check out her blog. Um, once again, thank you so much for being here and for your story, for your uh, what you're giving back to the community. Um, I think that's great. And we appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there you have it, guys. What an opportunity to speak with Christine and hear her story and her recovery. And what an incredible job she's doing with her platform. Head on over to Instagram, check her out once again at ED Stories and listen to her story as well as many others. Also, tune in next week to hear from my supervisor at Aerial Clinical Services, Lori Summers, to hear about children in foster care and the trauma that they face. Also, don't forget to reach out to us with any questions or comments and hit us up if you have anybody that wants to share their story um, or if you want to share your own story. Have a wonderful week, guys.